celebrate you. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Here at Conduit, we've been working through this series called Not Today, Satan. And in this series, we've been exploring all of these different relationships or territories in our lives where we want the goodness of the Lord to prevail and the wicked plots of the enemy to fail. So the first week of this series, um, Pastor Corey shared a message with us that was called Not My Home. And he talked about staking a claim over our homes in the name of Jesus Christ. And then these past two weeks, both Pastor Cameron and Pastor Corey have shared about this idea of not my kids, Satan. Not now, not today, not ever. They shared about how to effectively pray for our children, to shield them from the attacks of the enemy, And they talked about the flip side of that, this idea of dreaming with our kids, of leaning into the really good futures that the Lord has for them, of the great missions, like Pastor Corey mentioned last week, that the Lord has purposed for their lives. And today, well, today I get to share a message with you called, Not My Mom. Pastor Cameron would do a really great job of making a joke about that title, but I'm just not as quick on my feet with jokes as he is. So I'll just say this. They made this play on words and then left me in the hot seat to preach this message. So uh, come on now, guys. I could say a lot of mom jokes that are rolling in my heads, but I'm just going to say not today, Satan. Uh, So we're in this series um, that's called Not Today, Satan. And if I had to boil this series down to just one thing, I would say that it's really a series about relationships. Because for most of us, relationships are the most sacred things in our lives. We might value material things. Sure, they mean something to us. But we all know that when the day of darkness comes knocking at our doors, we need someone, not something, to hold on to. And so we value our relationships above all other things because our relationships, they tend, they have this ability to tell us what's real in our lives and what's not real in our lives. So if there's one area that Satan really wants to destroy, you better believe that it's your relationships. Because if your relationships are destroyed, then you will be left out high and dry, fully vulnerable. And that is not what God desires for your life. So in this series, we're saying, not today, Satan, not my home, not my kids, not my mom, not my friends, not my marriage, not my people, me and my people, we are going to serve the Lord. So let's get to it this morning. Our relationships with our moms... Or if you need to this morning, you can umbrella both your mother and your father into this. They're really one of the messiest relationships in our lives. You see, a lot of us in this room, we got mommy issues or we got daddy issues. We've got these thorns that we've been carrying in those relationships for decades. And what's interesting is that our relationships with our moms They were meant to be the most life-giving relationship in our lives, supreme to all other ones. 
It's the relationship that was meant to um, most bless us, to have a natural-born cheerleader right from birth, to protect and nurture, to love and guide us, to stand at our back when we desperately need it. But unfortunately, since the very moment of our conception, Satan has been trying to strip us of that relationship, to leave us feeling vulnerable, abandoned, depressed, alone. Last year, Pastor Ben gave the message here on Mother's Day, and he opened up the message with the words, it's complicated. And you guys, it so is. Mother's Day is complicated. It's a day that brings joy to a few, and it brings hurt to so many. Because our expectations in that relationship haven't been fulfilled. We've been disappointed somewhere along the way. And so before I go any further this morning, I want to stop and pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and there's just this emotional weight in this room that Mother's Day brings with it. So Father, we invite you into those tender spots in each of our hearts right now into the disappointments we've faced in those relationships, whether it's with our moms or with our children or unfulfilled desires to become a mom. Jesus, we invite you, Holy Spirit, rush in here like a storm this morning. Make your love tangible. Use this body that is gathered here today to stand in the gap for one another. May they be a source of community and friendship and encouragement for one another this morning. Speak to us through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I want to talk about the complexity of our relationships with our moms from both sides this morning. Both from um, my mom as the one who gave birth to me, as well as I'm the mom and I have a relationship with a child that is complicated perspective. Let's start with the first, since most everyone in this room this morning has a mom or a mother-in-law or a foster mom or a grandmom or some special woman in her life who has stood in the gap. Our relationships with our moms and our dads, they're supposed to reflect the very character of God toward us. The relationships that are meant to be unfailing and unconditional, meant to teach us about our Heavenly Father's love toward us. That is the way of design. It's the way that God himself designed it, as a revelation of his identity to us. And yet, that relationship is fallen. It is prey to sin. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 with me this morning. Could you bring that up on the screen, please? Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about the fall for just a minute and its implications on our relationships with our moms. Open up to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. So the backstory to this verse is God created a perfect world. Most of us know this narrative. His design was perfect. His vision of family was perfect. There was no sin in the world. All was just right. But we know what happened from there. Adam and Eve were living happily in the Garden of Eden when the serpent began to tempt Eve to eat a piece of fruit from the forbidden tree. 
And long story short, Eve gives in to the temptation and she convinces Adam to join her. And God, because of his holiness and his perfection, demands justice. So he gives consequences to the serpent and to Adam, and he gives a very specific consequence to Eve, which is what I want to read this morning. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now hang on with me a second, because this wasn't God saying, I'm going to do my best uh, Hulk impression now. I'm angry. <laughs> I, just I just can't do it with a serious face. All right. I'm angry. So from now on, I desire to see you in pain and for your relationship with your children to be difficult. God is perfect, remember? His anger did not pervade this moment with unjust judgment. Instead, it's God in all of his transcendence looking ahead at the generations to come saying, Oh, woman, now that sin has occurred, it will make your body imperfect. And childbirth will be difficult. And it will fill your actions with sin as well, which will cause corruption in your relationships with your children and with your husband. Oh, woman. In his foresight, he knew that troubled days were ahead because of the introduction of sin to the world and consequently the introduction of sin to the family unit. And we see that. We see that right away in the book of Genesis and we see it strung throughout all of the Old Testament. So right away following this narrative, there's tension between Eve's sons that are born to her. Her son Abel ends up being murdered. Sarah, the next really promising female character in the Bible, the wife of Abraham, experiences decades of infertility. Rebecca gives birth to two children who are at war, whose families war with each other for generations to come. The list goes on and on. But then we hit the New Testament and something happens to sin. The God-man is born from a woman with a mission to defeat sin for all of time. And all of a sudden, there is a hard stop. Now everything can be redeemed. Every hard, broken, difficult, painful thing can be made new. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus promises, I am making all things new. And I want to tell you this morning that your broken, difficult, tricky relationship with your mom can be made brand new. How many of you believe that? All right, so flip with me to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm getting kind of worked up, so you'll have to get there fast. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Okay, so Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, 
they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know the individual history or story of what's happened between you and your mom. I don't know the pain. I don't know the shades of deceit or disappointment. But what I do know this morning is that you have a task from your heavenly father, and it's to replicate your Jesus, to draw a line in the sand around your mama, around the woman who inspires you, who is influencing you the most, because you see Satan and the world... They are speaking over her shoulder, condemning her, telling her who she is. You are not worthy. You failed. You are not enough. You've done wrong by your family. You will never be loved wholly. You're unworthy. And you, you have the ability to defeat the voice over her shoulder whispering those things. Just like Jesus defeated the voice of condemnation around the shoulder of this woman in John chapter 8. Free your mom from condemnation. Allow her to hear the voice of God that whispers over her shoulder, my beloved. I know that you can't change your mom, but the Holy Spirit can. And you can take the first step in unveiling Jesus to her. Where division and unkindness have been sown, the greatest weapons we have our honor, and relentless commitment to each other. I'm going to repeat that. Where division and unkindness have been sown, the greatest weapons we have are honor and relentless commitment to one another. Last week at the Just Ask Honduras event um, that we had following service, Pastor Cameron, Pastor Corey, my husband and I had the opportunity to share about our pioneer trip to Honduras and about where we feel that the Lord is calling us to strategically partner with the disciple-making movement in the country of Honduras. And spoiler alert for those of you that weren't able to join us last week, we are going to be putting our feet down in the community of Barrio Sepile, an urban slum of the capital city of Tegucigalpa. Um, Barrio Sepile is where my husband, Javier, and I led and founded a ministry called Ministerio La Raza from 2009 to 2013. And I'm not going to get into the details of that today, but I do want to talk for just a moment about Barrio Sepile. So Barrio Sepile is a neighborhood that is traditionally known for its violence. There's heavy gang presence, some pretty serious impunity, and a high homicide rate. But I want to tell you something. Barrio Sepile is a place where poverty reigns, but poverty is not the cause of violence in Barrio Sepile. Disintegrated families are the cause of violence in Barrio Sepile. You see, when critical relationships in our lives begin to fail, the oppression of the enemy is always sure to follow. I read in a research study recently that the quality of community that surrounds a person is the most significant factor in their wholeness and well-being. Positive community invites growth to balanced personhood, 
while negative community meets only basic survival needs. I think we, most of us know this by common sense anyways, but it was affirming to reach that, or to read that. So what this study is saying essentially is that where a family unit is strong or someone, another community that's stepping in as a family is strong, and where there is unity and love, a person is invited to grow to balance personhood. So to be a contributing member of society, to be strong in their identity and to know who they are, whereas negative community, where there's division and unkindness, a person will only meet their basic survival needs. So they'll survive, but what they'll be able to grow into, a confident identity or a contributing member of our society, that potential really isn't there. That's why projects don't work to transform hurting communities. Because people aren't projects. People matter. All people. And relationships have to be at the center of our approach to mission. Here at Conduit, we are a people out to redeem relationships. I want you to repeat that with me this morning. At Conduit, we are out to redeem relationships. Let me hear you say that. At Conduit, we are out to redeem relationships. <sighs> okay. There's a young woman in Barrio Cipile named Katerine. Katerine was 12 when my husband and I had the opportunity to meet her for the first time. She was living with her grandma in a one-room um, household with eight other siblings and cousins. Her mom had slipped off the radar shortly after her birth, and her dad was really never on the radar. Katerine's family was very poor, and Katerine was rough around the edges. The edges. She was difficult for us to take anywhere on field trips or anywhere we tried to take her. She was difficult to love. She interrupted every single sentence we tried to say ever. But um, during the time of being in Barrio Cipile, of serving her and of serving her community, Katherine came to know um, the Lord and her life was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And almost immediately, she began to change. And she began to show incredible leadership among her peers. Before we left Barrio Cipile in 2013, I made Katherine make a promise to me. I sat her down and I made her promise, finish high school, Katherine. Promise me that you will finish high school. She still had three more years to go at that time. But she promised me that she would. Flash forward to three weeks ago, when my husband and I had the opportunity to be reunited with Katerine for the first time since 2013. Could you pull up that picture of Katerine, Jake? This is Katerine and I. Katerine is 20 years old now. And guess what? She finished high school. I am so proud of her. Yeah. So I asked her, what are you doing now? Expecting her to tell me that she's gonna go to college and she's gonna continue down that leadership track. And she said, I'm, I'm selling vegetables in the market. I just can't get the money together, but I'm going to go. I promise I'm going to go to college one day soon. She doesn't know it yet, but um, my husband and I made the decision that same day that we are going to fund Katharine's college education. College is way cheaper in Honduras. Uh, <laughs> so that she can keep developing into the leader that God has destined her to be and to transform her community. I can't wait for her to find out in the fall. If you don't have kids, or even if you do, you've got to know that where an absence of parenting has occurred, there is fertile ground for sowing. 
for someone to step in and assume the spiritual authority of that child's life and say, not today, Satan. Through fostering or adoption or mentorship or becoming a parent-like figure in a child's life. So let's switch gears now. Um, let's talk about those relationships with our complicated children. So moms in the room, moms-to-be, moms-in-waiting. Pastor Cameron said something to us um, a couple weeks ago here in the same series. He said, there is no shield stronger than a parent willing to stand in the gap for a child. And I concur. Well said. If you have a complicated relationship with your child, or your child is experiencing something difficult, like a chronic disease, or a mental illness, or addiction, or bullying, I want you to hear me this morning when I say Jesus can redeem that too. It starts with resistance to oppression. That's where it starts, saying no to Pharaoh, so to speak. But once you've said no to something... No to broken relationships, no to seeds of discord and hate, no to just injustice and social oppression, no to violence. Once you've said no to something, you got to say yes to something else. Moses said no to Pharaoh so that he could say yes to God. Is anybody in this house following me this morning? All right, so Moses said no to Pharaoh so that he could say yes to God. So you got to say no to the oppression of the enemy in your child's life so that you can say yes to a better alternative. And i got to be straight with you and let you know that our yes to God, it looks a lot like Jesus' yes. What did Jesus' yes look like? It looked like arms outstretched on a cross, willing to sacrifice Sweat and blood pouring from his brow, fully vulnerable. It was a posture of full surrender. And if we want to say yes to God, it's going to look like a posture of surrender as well. A lot of you here know my story. You've heard it from me before. You know that I lost a child, a daughter named Lily, in 2013. Lily was born with multiple undetected birth defects. She had surgery and was hospitalized um, in the country of Honduras, where my husband and I and our other daughter, Lucy, were serving as missionaries at the time. Unfortunately, Lily was unable to receive the kind of medical care that she needed to survive in Honduras. And so at just three weeks old, our sweet Lily went to be with her heavenly father. So Mother's Day... It's complicated for me, too. I have a great relationship with my mom, who's here this morning, and with my other three beautiful children. But my heart holds its breath all day, every Mother's Day, as I ache and long for my daughter to be with us. I feel like three-quarters a mom without her, like she holds a piece of my heart that I won't get back until the day that Jesus reunites us. So I get longing, and I get heartache on this day. In December 2016, I found out that I was pregnant for the fourth time, three whole years and one child after losing our daughter, Lily. And I was ecstatic until I went to the hospital at seven weeks pregnant with some bleeding, and an ultrasound revealed 
that I had a large subchorionic hemorrhage. And the doctor advised me that I may be beginning a miscarriage. So from seven weeks of pregnancy until about 12 weeks of pregnancy, I went into the doctor's office once a week to have the hemorrhage checked. And the hemorrhage kept growing larger. And the likelihood of fetal survival kept growing smaller. Until finally, they started having me come in every other day to check the ultrasound, expecting that soon the ultrasound technology would show that the baby's heart had stopped beating and they would have to perform a DNC. They prepared me for that reality every time I was in there. My heart hurt so bad in that time. The sting of Lily's loss hurt so sharply again as a new loss threatened our happiness. But I didn't give up hope as the medical team kept trying to get me to. Because as much as the loss of Lily had hurt me, I also learned a lesson. A lesson that God truly does redeem all things. A pastor friend once told me during our season of grief, crap, he didn't use that word though, he used another word for it, happens. And then God goes to work to redeem it. And I knew that even if we lost another baby, God would redeem that story too. And so instead of losing hope, I surrendered the outcome into my father's hands. I remember writing it down in a journal one day. Jesus, this child is yours. and I know that your will for me and for this baby is good. And I trust you. I release the survival of this child into your hands. And I gathered staff from Conduit and friends that had become family to pray the same thing with us. A posture of surrender changes everything. The very next day, I went in for another ultrasound. And sure enough, not only was the baby's heart still beating, and not only had the hemorrhage diminished, but it was completely gone. There was no longer any threat to the fetus. I remember the doctor saying, there's some things that science can explain, and this is one of the things that it cannot. We learned just a Yeah, it's good news. Thank you. We learned just a few weeks later that he was a boy, our only boy after three girls, our last child, a boy. So fitting. We named him Gabriel Raphael to mean healed to announce the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Flash forward to week 37 of pregnancy, the same child. Everything had progressed well, and I was scheduled to deliver via C-section just a week later at 38 weeks. But on a Saturday night, out of the blue, I just began to have this like sinking feeling that something was wrong with the baby. It was inexplicable. At first, I chalked it up to some form of PTSD. After losing Lily, I was just, you know, this is just an emotional response. I'm scared. I'm fearful we're going to lose another baby. And, but honestly, as the hours went by, I just couldn't put my thumb on where this was coming from, and I couldn't shake the sensation. It just kept growing stronger. So as soon as Monday morning arrived, I called my OBGYN's office, 
And I got the nurse on the phone. And as soon as I got her on the phone, I just started crying, saying something's wrong. I just know it is. I know it doesn't make sense, but I lost another baby, and I just know that I'm about to lose this baby, and I really need to be seen. She was very gracious to me. And she allowed for me to come into the office just a few hours later. And as soon as I got there, they did an ultrasound. I honestly think that they did the ultrasound just to appease me so that my anxiety levels would calm down. But sure enough, the scar tissue on my uterus <clears throat> from previous C-sections had stretched so thin that it was dangerously close to rupturing. And I was scheduled right away for surgery. Would you believe that when I got into surgery that day, and the doctor opened me up. The baby's placenta had just begun abruption. The amniotic fluid was filled with blood, and the baby's oxygen supply was wearing thin. But our doctor pulled him out just in the nick of time. He was perfectly healthy, a big, bold cry, lungs full of oxygen, a healthy weight, and the most beautiful head of hair. You can go ahead and pull up that picture of our gobble. <laughs> He's nine months now. <laughs> Our Gabriel healed once more, saved from the palm of destruction. My obstetrician came into my hospital room over and over again in those days following the C-section to talk about what a close call it had been and how glad he was that he had listened to my mother's intuition. But we all know it really wasn't my intuition. It was the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit instead. I believe that Gabriel lives because instead of holding on to his life with a clenched fist, tainted by the loss of our lily, I opened my hands and I surrendered his survival to the Lord. Because you see, there's something that happens in surrender. In surrender, we find the courage to ask, if it is possible, please let this pain pass. We find peace in not my will, but yours. And we find tenacious endurance in resolving enough. Get up. Get on with it. This is the tenacity of surrender and of praying the words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mother Teresa recorded in the following words in one of her memoirs. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. She said, it's one of my favorite books. I've read it many, many times and highlighted it so much. She said, I will never forget one day in Venezuela when I went to visit a family who had given us a lamb. I went to thank them, and there I found out that they had a badly crippled child. I asked the mother, what is this child's name? The mother gave me the most beautiful answer. We call him teacher of love, but because he keeps on teaching us how to love. Everything we do for him is our love for God in action. He can take that really painful place in your life and he can make it new. He can turn your ashes into beauty and he will. Ladies in this room who hurt this morning because motherhood has left you out of a story that you deeply wish you were part of, or you miss being part of if your mother has passed away, there is space for you here. You are seen and you are loved. And we celebrate you too because God is writing and redeeming 
every part of your story. I have a few questions for you this morning in closing that I want you to take home and I want you to think about and pray about. The first is, what is the thing that you need to say, no, not today, Satan, to in your relationship with your mom or your children? i repeat that again. The first question I want you to pray over and think about in this coming week is what is the thing that you need to say, not today, Satan, to in your relationship with your mom or with your children? And the second thing is, what is the thing that you need to say yes to God to in those exact same relationships? And third, you were given a flower today on your way in, but I'm going to challenge you not to keep it. I know that it's your special day. I know that you deserve it, but I want you to give it away today. Give it to another mom that you know needs encouraged. Come alongside someone else whose heart is hurting today. Mother's Day, it is complicated, but it's also holy. All those things that hurt us, Jesus is redeeming. We just have to assume a posture of surrender. Take our clenched fists and release to the Lord. He is near to us in our pain and in our rejoicing. Let me close us in prayer this morning. Father, here we come before you. We know that you've been with us this whole time. You've been with us in every part of our stories. And you're here right now in the pain and in the rejoicing in our lives. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to enter into that space, those tender parts of our hearts. Redeem our stories, Jesus. Rewrite them. Magnify your name. Not our will, but yours. We release all of it to you. We take our clenched fists and we open them up. Jesus, have your way in our lives. Thank you, Father. Y'all